Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to Radiant Life. My name is Ryan. If you don't know me, I am our lead pastor here, and we are in a series together that is ongoing forever, so to speak. We'll be jumping in and out, but we're in a series together called Awaken. We're looking at the book of Acts, and uh, this is the 21st the 21st message in this series. And uh, just to let us know where we're going, remember in the, in the summer, so June 4th, I believe this is the first Sunday of June, um, we are going to be headed into the gospel according to Mark for our summer series, okay? And so we've got this week and then next week I will still be in the book of Acts and then we get to kick off our summer series together the following week. Uh, before I jump in, though, I want, I want to share with you uh, an announcement real quick before we jump in. So we have a little bit of a tradition here at Radiant Life, if you will, of doing what we call Summer Bash. We normally do Summer Bash out at Cade Lake. Any of you participate in Summer Bash before? Right? So Summer Bash is food and games and baptism. That's what we do. We go out to Cade Lake And here's the reality of where our church is today. We have outgrown that space. That's just, that's a great thing, right? That we've just outgrown that space. And we thank you for those that were bringing their carts to and helping chauffeur people from the top of the hill all the way down the road, all the way down to the park. Finally, you got there. And so what we want to do this year is say, hey, how can we maximize this event? If we've run out of space at Cade Lake, how do we maximize the event? And we put our heads together and we realize we have nine acres right here. We got plenty of space right here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to shift the location of our summer bash to right here on this campus. And we're still going to have awesome time together. We've got games planned. There's going to be tournaments for you competitive people. Right? We're going to have tournaments in some areas. We haven't fleshed all the games yet. We'll have inflatables for the kids. We're going to do baptism. We're going to have food. But we're going to do it right here on campus. And here's the, ch- here's the change, though. So lean in on this. Sunday, July 16th, will still be a date that exists. We're just moving those morning services to Saturday night, July 15th for our summer bash here at Radiant Life. Sound good? So I wanted to tell you now before you made all your like summer camping plans, all right? Hold that date open. Saturday night, July 15th, is our weekend service, but also our summer bash. It's gonna be outside, we're praying, the Lord gives us great weather, all right? And we're gonna do baptism, we're gonna do all sorts of things. It's gonna be awesome. Here's what I love about it. We can stay up late because we don't have to come in this building Saturday or Sunday morning. And part of that would be hanging out around like a fire, maybe at like 10 o'clock at night, singing worship songs together. Not just only having our normal worship service time uh, together Saturday night, like five o'clock or so, but also hanging out later and say, Lord, we're still seeking you and we're still doing worship songs at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, maybe there's some pickleball tournaments. I don't know. Ultimate Frisbee tournaments, basketball tournament. I don't know. It's going to be fun. So turn to your neighbor and say, you better come. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I expect to see you there. 
All right, let's jump in. Let's jump in. So there it is. You'll start seeing the advertisement for it, but I wanted to get it on your calendars, okay? Because reality is here in Sturgis, schools are out in two weeks and summer goes crazy, right? Is that a teacher? That is a teacher clapping. It's, it's not a parent that's clapping. I know that, right? That's a teacher. That's awesome. All right, here we go. Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. In your Bible, if you want to turn, I titled this message, Conversion, Faked or Faith? And we're going to look there as you turn there. Uh, Last week, if you are here with us, we looked at a story right before these verses. The story is Philip. And Philip goes to Samaria, and he encounters Simon the sorcerer. We looked at scripture that said Simon believed, he was baptized, and he followed Philip. But there came a moment when Peter and John had to leave Jerusalem to go up. They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, Simon the sorcerer goes, hey, I want that power. And he tried to buy it. And the apostles like, you can't buy the move and power of God. And then they directed at his heart and said, there is bitterness and wickedness in your heart. You can't have a part of any of this. And then it said that they left. And here's a story that feels like it's the complete opposite of what happened. Someone that's going to walk in obedience and follow the faith and have a legacy like no other versus someone that we looked at last week tried buying all this, if you will. Tried buying the faith. So if you have your Bible and open to Acts 8 or your tablet, let me hear you say word. We get in the word, so the... Let's look, here we go. Acts chapter... Oh, let me do this first. Acts 1.8. This is key to lead to where we need to go. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my what, church family? Witnesses in Jerusalem, right? That's where they're at. Jerusalem and then Judea, a little further out, the county, if you will. And then to Samaria, where you don't like to go, and to the ends of the earth. See, the key to the Spirit coming on the apostles was to send them off in the power of the Spirit to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is boldness. Yes, when people are baptized or immersed, if you will, in the Spirit, it's not just that you'll all of a sudden start speaking in tongues, which we do believe that's a gift, but more than likely that there is an empowerment of you to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. To go be a witness where you live, where you work, and where you play. Let me ask you a question real quick. Who is God sending you to? Where God has you, who's he sending you to? Think about the people in your life, where you live, work, and play. Who is God sending you to? Let me ask it in another way. Who has God put on your heart? That person that needs to know who Jesus Christ is. Who are you praying for that doesn't have Christ? Who are you praying for? And I know some people may say in this room, listen, I don't have anyone. The the thing is, it's not that people aren't around you. It's that you're not looking for divine opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the issue. There's people all over the place. Do you go to the gas station? What about that person that's pumping the gas right there? What about going to the grocery store? 
and going through the cash register. You don't go through it. You go through the lane to get to the cash register. What about that person? What about that waiter or waitress you are engaging all the time? You know your restaurant that you love. It's like, I always get this person. Hmm, maybe God has that person because you're the one he's using to reach them. Please hear this. God has called us to be his people, to go reach people. We have to know that. He is using us. We, he had, it just blows your mind. He chose you and I to partner in with his mission. He, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, if I was God, which clearly I'm not, but if I was, I'd be like, don't worry, people, I love you, but I'm just going to do my thing. I'll make my will happen. But he uses people like you and I to bring forth his mission. And that is amazing. See, here's the issue within Christianity, especially in America. Evangelism was never limited to the church gathering. And a lot of times we think, if I just get them into church, let my pastor preach the gospel, and they may get saved. Which could work. And we pray that that does work. But it was never limited to the church gathering. Not everyone who needs Jesus will ever enter this church or any other church in our community. But they are in your sphere of influence for you to reach them. Go reach them for Jesus Christ. And I know some of us are sitting back going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't have the theological training. I don't have that. I don't know what to say. If that's where we start, We've based every single point of evangelism on your own efforts and not the Spirit's efforts in your life. Know that. We just have to be in tune with Holy Spirit to say, hey, who are you trying to reach right now that I'm around? Because I know when I'm in your strength, you will speak in me and through me. It's you. So, Acts 8, here we go, friends. Keep this in mind. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up. And go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Now here's a map of where we're talking about so we get this understanding. So Philip was up in Samaria there. He traveled back down to Jerusalem. You see that red line? And then he's going to go to the yellow circle that's Gaza. Following that green dotted line that is the desert road. The desert road does not mean it's like camels in sand. It's not that kind of desert. It just means it's a road less traveled. Some parts are very narrow. Other parts are very wide. It's just a road that may have some tough terrain, but it's just less traveled upon than a normal road to get to Gaza. And the key is, it said, look at what it says. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up. I'm curious how many of us just need to get a little awakened and get up to get on mission with Jesus. We need to get up, friends. Time is short on this earth. Over and over, life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Who in your life needs to know who Jesus Christ is? And this story here in Acts 8, it's only beginning to pick up. Here we go. So he got up 
in what? I love the obedience of Philip. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say, well, God, I'm a little hungry first. I got to go get my lunch at Long John Silver's first, and then I will go. He gets up and he obeys. He goes. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Right here, Luke, the author of Acts, is telling us a few things. Number one, that Philip, or, um, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, must be, obviously, as he's head of the queen's treasury, he has some sort of money because he has a scroll in his hands. Most of the scrolls lived in the Jewish synagogue at the time, unless you were wealthy and could actually buy a scribe to copy it, and then you possess it. So therefore, we have this instance where there's obviously a rich Ethiopian man, and all of a sudden, this guy, Philip, realizes, I'm going after this guy. And he's sitting in his chariot, reading the word of God out loud. And then the spirit told Philip, if the spirit was to tell you something, would you know it's his voice? Could you say, I know the voice of my father. And he told me to do this. Or is the only voice we hear is the noise of this world. The spirit told Philip, hey, Philip, yo, uh, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? So here, we don't get all the details here, but here's one detail we get. Philip is running. You know what men did not do in the ancient world? Run. So here he's listening to the Spirit and he's running because the Spirit told him, go and join that chariot. I think when we know God's calling on our lives, we ought to run to the calling. We ought to take off and run to know this is what the Lord is calling me to. And he gets there beside the chariot. And it says he hears this guy reading out loud and he's yelling. My assumption is he's yelling. My assumption is the chariot's still moving and Philip's running right with it, right? Excuse me, sir. Do you know what and understand what you're reading? And then the chariot will stop. And Philip's going to have an encounter with this Ethiopian man. But first, (laughs) if Christ is hindered, it's because some Philip's not willing to go. The Spirit told Philip, go, go to that chariot. And this man's life will be forever changed. Don't not be a Philip to someone because you have the fear of man or sit there and go, I don't have the words to say. Lean into the power of the spirit in your life to give you the words to say. If Christ is hindered, it is because some Philip is not willing to go. And then the Ethiopian says, how can I understand this? He said, unless someone guides me, 
So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Unless someone guides me in this scripture I'm reading, how can I understand this thing? I love what Pastor Tony Evans in his CSB uh, study Bible says about this passage. He says this, pray regularly for God to bring people across your path with whom you can share the love of God in Jesus Christ. There are individuals out there whom the Spirit has prepared. Whom the Spirit has prepared. This is the theological term here called prevenient grace. Let me hear you say prevenient. Prevenient grace, pre meaning the Spirit is already working on that person before you get there. Do you see now where you and I ought to take a breath of fresh air when it comes to evangelism? That the Spirit of God is already beginning to work on someone. We just got to make sure you and I are obedient to going to people. He's working. Whoo, that should be like, thank you, God. And listen, you and I can't save anyone anyways. It's only Jesus Christ. But we're his mouthpiece. So remember that. The Spirit is already beginning to work on their life. And then uh, Pastor Tony Evans goes, like the Ethiopian man, they're asking themselves, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Believers are to know the scriptures so that they are prepared to help unbelievers properly understand and respond to the gospel as well as to help fellow believers grow in their faith. This is why I get so passionate about the word of God because this thing is alive and active. And when we get into it, we begin to see scripture, the black letters begin to come alive. And we begin to see the will of God we begin to see ourselves. Most importantly, we begin to see Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord come alive. There are people probably in your life that are asking themselves, how can I understand unless someone guides me? How can I understand unless someone's God guides me? Prevenient grace is already working. The Spirit's working. Let's be obedient and show up. And this story continues. Now the scripture passage he, known as the Ethiopian, he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about whom, friends? The good news about Jesus, beginning with the scripture. And this man's life will be forever changed. And what's interesting about this man's life is he's going to leave a legacy in the continent of Africa that you and I will talk about in a few moments. But a legacy that is forever changed by Christians in Africa today because of this man right here. And Philip started, you're interested, let me share about Jesus Christ with you. And this man, when we come, just like the Ethiopian, into faith, into salvation, a radical change must occur within us. That when we come to Jesus Christ, we are no longer ourselves, but we are his. 
We have denied ourselves. We have taken up our cross and follow after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's my concern as a pastor in America is some of these people who attend the church who aren't born again. People who think they're going to heaven but have no holiness in their life. That people have made a decision for Christ but aren't a disciple of Christ. That Jesus saved them from hell but is not Lord of their life. And that they claim to have faith but there's no fruit. See, my fear is, friends, we've been introduced to a Jesus who promised to improve us, not a Jesus who calls his followers to to die to themselves. You know why? Because we live in comfort and we like comfort. But a radical change must occur with us if we really, truly come into faith through Jesus Christ. And listen to this. We don't need to improve ourselves. We need a complete reset because of sin in our lives. How great the chasm that laid between us. I forgot the rest of the song. But that chasm that was laid between us, it's called sin. And sin is bad. It's to miss the mark what God has planned for you and I. And we don't need to just improve. I'll just get a little better in this forgiveness area. No, we need a complete reset of who we are. Why? Because our flesh and sinful nature will continue to rule and not the reign of Christ in our lives. So let me give you three quick resets that we engage in. Number one, we engage with a born-again process. Number two, we're made new. And number three, we have a new nature. So I'm going to show you these three with just a few little verses in a moment. And I could have picked a hundred bajillion verses. Okay, not quite a hundred bajillion, but many verses under each of these. But I want to show you just a few to capture this idea. John 3, when John is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a guy that's part of the Sanhedrin, he says this to him about being born again. He says, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is what, friends? And someone is born again, here's the result. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, as Jesus says. There is a radical change when we come to meet Jesus Christ. We are no longer the same. We are born again. First Peter says this, blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are new. We are born again. There is a rebirth, a new birth happening within inside of us as we come to know Jesus Christ. The second complete reset is you and I are made new. We are completely made new. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what are those two words? He's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Praise God, we're not the same, right? Praise God. Can anyone testify to this verse right here? You know you're different. You know you're made new. 
There is a radical change when you and I truly have surrendered our lives to this Jesus. There is a complete reset within us. And in Galatians, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. Mean nothing. Here's what matters. You're a new creation. See, the churches in the region of Galatia, which would be present-day Turkey in the southern region of present-day Turkey, here was their issue. You had Jews and Gentiles coming into the faith. And the Jews would sit there and go, okay, we have a symbol that we're in the faith. It's called circumcision. And they were saying, you need to be circumcised. And the Gentiles that come to faith say, don't you dare touch me with those knives. And so they're having an issue. And they're like, listen, our faith is real, just as your faith. And they're arguing, and Paul writes to them and says, stop. Here's what unites both of you. Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. Who cares, circumcised, uncircumcised? What matters is you are a new person. And that's what we need to focus on. It's a complete reset. And then, then you, are, you have a new nature. This new nature, the church in Colossae, Paul had it right to them. Which we get the book Colossians, and it says, and have put on the new self. See, you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This is the clothing illustration that Paul uses. The idea is you've taken off the old rags of yourself. And now with Jesus Christ, you've put on new clothes. You've put on a garment of praise. You've put on righteousness. You've put on sanctification, the process of growing into the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, because your old rags, here's the problem, your old rags don't look like the image of your creator. But he didn't leave you there. He's here to redeem your old rags and make you new. It is a new clothing you and I put on. Please hear, we don't improve ourselves. We need a complete reset because of sin, what sin has done in our lives. This is why when we come into faith, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a radical change occurs inside of us. This is where our heart begins to be truly, completely bent towards God, and it begins to be bent away from self. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have saving faith? Do you have saving faith? I don't think it's a coincidence that in our Bible that these two stories are put back to back. One who wants to buy this all and has wickedness and bitterness in his heart says, you don't belong to this. And another man is going to be completely obedient and go change an entire continent because of what Jesus does in him. See, this is what I love about what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. See, Paul, we'll talk about Paul Saul next week. Say Paul Saul because his name is Saul, but well, eventually God will change it to Paul. So it's Paul Saul or Saul Paul. It's really confusing. Like, could you not change his name, God, from Saul to like Matthew? That's really easier to understand, right? 
But he doesn't. Saul Paul. He wants to go to this city in the ancient world known as Ephesus. Fourth largest city at the time. It's one of the largest port cities in the entire world. About 400,000 people populate Ephesus at the time of, of Paul. He wants to go there. Paul will take three missionary journeys. The first one, he tries to go there to Ephesus, and it says the Spirit blocks him from going. In other words, Paul, not yet. Not yet. The second trip, Paul finally gets to go to Ephesus, and he stays there for about three years. And he writes to that church who's trying to live out this new life of Jesus in a really rich pagan, high sexuality culture. Sound familiar? And here he is trying to engage with them. And he writes to the Christians in Ephesus and says this to them. For you are saved by what, friends? You're saved by grace. Through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God's. Grace was given for you and I to receive it. And Christ Jesus exhausted God's wrath for our sins. And the heavenly father now graciously gives salvation by faith, by grace. Grace saves us and faith receives it. Please lean in on this moment. What happens when you and I think that faith saves us? We begin to think that faith is a single act, a prayer prayed, a decision made, or a hand raised, rather than a whole life reoriented to God. Lean in. Here's the trouble. We can never be sure if we're sincere enough or our faith in the moment was big enough to actually receive. So here's what happens. Insecurity follows and we create a culture of rededication. And how many times have you been saved before? I probably got saved 115 times as a teenager. Anytime a prayer was prayed, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to make sure I'm good, God. Said the prayer, good. But what does it say that saves us? You're saved by grace. I praise God it doesn't say you're saved by faith because now it's dependent on you and not a gift from God. See, grace is the thing you and I get, but it's, it's faith is the vehicle that it sits in and goes now. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we complicate it too much. See, <laughs> I'm thankful for God's word. It's so clear at times. And we make these, all these steps in order to come to faith. And I love what Paul just writes to the churches in Rome. He says, hey, by the way, um, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Listen, just confess Jesus is Lord. Do you believe it? Can you confess it? Can you confess it? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Listen, you'll be saved. And here's where we got to get into. The moment of, well, did I raise my hand? Did I? No, nah, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm going to do it again if the pastor leads. See, we ought not to ask the question, did you truly believe? But 
who did you believe in? Because here's the issue. You ask the question, did you truly believe? Who does that put the onus on? You. And the onus isn't on you. It's grace, a gift from God. Who did you believe in? Now, some of you are now beginning to think, I don't know if I'm saved anymore. And I don't want you to feel that. I want us to engage and examine that. But scripture doesn't leave us empty there. I love these two things that scripture points to know, am I saved or not? And the first is this, the spirit bears witness. Come on, this is a beautiful verse. This is why you got to get to know who the Holy Spirit is. Because this is what he says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. That's why you got to get to know the spirit of God. You sit there and go, he will testify to your spirit. You are his son, you are his daughter. It's a beautiful place. Get to know the spirit of God. And number two, you have to look at your life. For that church in Corinth, we, we assume that maybe perhaps Paul wrote at least four letters to that church. I mean, how jacked up does that church have to be to get at least four letters from Paul? But I love what Paul actually says to them in his first but second letter. What I mean by that is we have 1 Corinthians. You following? In 1 Corinthians, he says, in my former letter I wrote you, which actually would have been 1 Corinthians, but we don't have that letter. For whatever reason, the Spirit did not preserve that letter. I don't think it was for us. It was meant for just that church in Corinth. And then we have his second letter that we call First, First Corinthians, you following that? And then, then in it, he says this, in First Corinthians 1, he says, I always thank God for you. Even though y'all are a little jacked up, I always thank God for you. So he did have that special relationship with this church, but he definitely corrected this church. He's like, hey, Christians, you guys got this thing off sideways. But he says this, look at that. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? He doesn't say, hey, you remember that one time when you raised your hand that one time in service? Or at the camp? Oh, you're good. You don't, you don't even have to ever test yourself. You're good. You, you, you threw the hand up that one time. But it's a continual testing. Father God, today, my faith and trust, I believe in you, Jesus. Spirit's confirmed. Tomorrow, I believe in you, Jesus. And the Spirit's confirmed. Son, daughter, you're mine. It's a continual testing of our faith. Are we in? Are we truly in? Are we truly in? Radical change must occur. And then the story, as it closed with the eunuch, oh, come on. It gets real good and slightly real weird at the end. See, he gets in the chariot, Philip, and he's beginning to explain the good news of Jesus, right? It says, starting with the scriptures. And then they're on their way and they're going to look for water. Because something is going inside the spirit of the Ethiopian eunuch. They're going to look for water. 
jumping back in. It says, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, hey, look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? So we ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. There are so many times, and we've talked about this together as family, so many times in the New Testament, believe, baptized, believed, baptized, believed, baptized, believed, baptized. Why does baptism matter? Baptism matters because of what Jesus did in you. That is why baptism matters so much. It's Jesus also set that example. He went into the Jordan River and had his cousin, John the Baptist, baptize him. And in that moment of Jesus' baptism, you have a glimpse of the Trinity. You have Jesus in the water, and it says, like a, the Spirit of God, like a dove, descended down upon him. And the heavens opened, and the Father's voice said, This is my Son. With him I am well pleased. And we have a glimpse of the entire Godhead right there in that moment of Jesus' baptism. We said last week that you confess the gospel through baptism, through the immersion of getting dunked into water and coming back up. And lean in on this moment. Faith is personal, but it's not private. Faith is personal, but it's not private. We're called into this. Go and make disciples of all nations. What's the next word? Baptizing. Baptizing. See, we surrender personally. It's a personal surrender. But we share baptism publicly. We share it publicly. And the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized by Philip. And they're going to come out of the water. And check out his response when he comes out of the water. It says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. <laughs> what? It's like a beam me up Scotty Star Trek moment right here. And the eunuch did not see him any longer. But went away, went on his way. What's that one word? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. He goes away rejoicing because he knows what Jesus has done in his life now. And here's where you need to understand. He's going back to the region of Ethiopia. Ethiopia at this time is not the, con or the country of Ethiopia. It's the region of southern Egypt down a little bit along the east coast of Africa. That's the region at this time that's known as Ethiopia. And it says this eunuch goes back rejoicing. Today, in southern Egypt, there is what's known as Coptic Christians. Coptic is the Greek word for Egypt. Egyptian Christians. And they will point their faith to the Ethiopian eunuch that came back rejoicing and started sharing the gospel in Africa. Brothers and sisters in Christ that we will one day see in heaven rejoicing because the Ethiopian eunuch went back and shared. 
What's amazing about these photos is you see an absolute heart of worship, don't you? These brothers and sisters in Christ are one of the most persecuted group of people on this planet right now. Yet look at their joy in the midst of persecution because they know their God. He goes back rejoicing. Let me ask you a question. Where's your Ethiopia? Where's your Ethiopia? Where is it? See, the Ethiopian unit goes back. And there is a changed legacy forever in the continent of Africa because of him. Who will you impact that can have a changed life, a changed destiny, and a changed legacy because you decided... I'm going back to wherever my Ethiopia, where I work, live, and play. I'm going back and rejoicing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, said, as Philip was taken away, he appeared in Azotus. And he wasn't done. He's traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea, which is a port city on the Mediterranean Sea on the west side of Israel. That city, it's about 30 miles from where he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Just gone. 30 miles away, he appears. Anyone else think that's weird? Gone. I wonder what the Ethiopian eunuch thought in the moment. But he went away rejoicing. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.